everybody goes through tragedies of one kind or another. And, uh, and generally the rings around, you know, like if the intimate ring is very uh, taken with it. And then as the rings get wider and wider, it's less and less impressive. That's what we're, we all know about tragedy. Like we know the Jewish people know about tragedy. Jews know about tragedy. Families know about I mean, everybody. There's, uh, there's no one who is uh, exempt. And, uh, but the rings kind of dissipate. You know, it's like when you throw a stone into, into the water. So the ripples get bigger and less, uh, uh, less effective as you go along. But sometimes... Sometimes uh, they have something very important and the tragedy seems to be greater. But here you had a case where we had uh, three young boys who were unknown. They were just unknown. All you saw is what they looked like. And everybody thought they were members of their family. That was a personal tragedy, which uh, certainly seems to me to be remarkable. I guess that uh, people in Israel would like, uh, you know, to be able to have a family. You know, people look healthy, clean cut, studying a little Torah, learning a little mathematics. It was, all seems to be something that everybody could uh, could relate to. And so, the tragedy was everybody's tragedy. I mean, I'm sure it will dissipate differently for different people, but there was a universality about the tragedy, which holds uh, in any event, I think, is quite remarkable. Okay, we'll talk about Bilam. Bilam, Bilam was the prophet, you know, the one who was sent to curse B'nai Israel. That Bilam is a is a problematic character because if he's a prophet then somehow we have to uh, understand how the spiritual excellence of prophecy could devolve upon a non-Jew even a a righteous non-Jew but he's just not connected to the things that we think of when we think of spiritual excellence if you look at the Rambam the Rambam's been quite taken up by this question of prophecy. And he discusses it in uh, the uh, Sefer Madan of the Yad HaZakah, the seventh paragraph, of Yisodeh And then, quite at length, for 15 chapters in the, in the Moren Nebuchim, the Guide to the Complex. The Rambam is like really uh, uh, taken up by this idea that a person can surpass himself. That on, on some practical level, we are very gashmi, um, right? We're, we're made of stuff, and the stuff that we're made of has to be taken care of. So we have to eat, and we have to sleep, etc., etc., etc. And that's quite the same as the needs of animals and uh, and we don't want to be animals. We don't want to compare ourselves to animals. So we postulate that when God created man, I mean, when I say postulate, I don't mean that it's wrong. I just mean that we don't know exactly what we're talking about. 
like it's possible. Like, you know, sometimes you talk about things by agreement. It's sort of like, you don't know what I'm saying, and I don't know what I'm saying, so why not talk about it? Uh, but in fact, that's what the Pasuk says, that somehow man, and I guess later on women, you know, the Torah is not always uh, an equal opportunity storyteller. Sometimes it is, but not always. So, uh, who knows what that means? But, but it somehow indicates a closeness to God that was not part of the animal kingdom. Right? Animals didn't get that by So it is in fact, I think, possible to talk about things that we don't know anything about. As though we did know about them. So I don't know what means, but I know that Ugolus says, and this is uh, everybody, something that everybody quotes, Ugolus said, Ruach Memalala. Right, those two words. Ruach means spirit. Another word which we use but don't understand. Right, don't even try to understand. Everybody said, oh yeah, the spirit of it. Uh, but the, the, the Ruach is spirit. And Memalala means to speak. There's the, the quality or the, the attribute of speech was given to man. So you could say, well, if you had to distinguish, and the Greek philosophers already did it, but that's not... Not the point. The point is that that Unculus, when he had to try to explain to us what the Ruach, the spirit that God impressed into man, he said, well, we speak. We speak, we communicate. And and I guess that's all he says. But you could sort of carry it on. The, The ability to communicate makes it possible to assess, to try to impress, to try to influence, right? All of that has to do with some, some ingredients within ourselves. So the Rambam, the Rambam said, well, that ingredient, Ruach Memalala, Nefesh, Vaipach Nefesh Chayim, that ingredient can be expanded into a higher level. Not everybody's on the same level. But the highest level, the highest level is called prophecy. That's what it's called, nivu'ah. Nivu'ah is the level to which we can aspire. Nivu'ah. And, of course, the Rambam hedges on one point, on two points, actually, but the point in Yisodei Torah, the Rambam already hedges on the fact that no one else can be like Moshe Rabbeinu. Because for the Rambam, to bring the Torah into the world you needed the capacity to understand the Torah on the highest level. It's kind of an interesting idea. Because in order to bring Torah into the world, you had to understand it. No one understands the Torah, only Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu is able to read to bring the Torah into the world. So when we learn Torah, we don't learn it like Moshe Rabbeinu. We learn it like, well, we're just clods. You know, we, we do a little bit. We, we learn a little bit. We understand something. But in order for the Torah to be in the world, it had to come through a vehicle, an agent who did understand. And the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu was of such a significant nature that he could talk to God and understand it. Chazal said that even Moshe Rabbeinu's understanding was limited. That if there are 50 
Sha'are Bina. If there are 50 gates of Bina, in other words, very hard to, uh, to translate, but Bina is a word that means understanding, uh, knowledge, but you know, it's one of the Spirot. Keter Chachma Bina, the first three of the ten Spirot. So Bina, Bina is a, I know it says also Chazal said that women have this quality or have this quality of Bina, but Bina means uh, intellectual achievement in uh, the Greek sense or spiritual achievement in the Kabbalistic sense. So that's, that there are 50 Share Bina and Moshe Rabbeinu got to 49. So that even Moshe Rabbeinu, we can't say about Moshe Rabbeinu that he was, like when he spoke to God, that he had complete understanding. That, that's inconceivable. But he had 49 out of 50. And 49 out of 50 is enough to bring the Torah, to bring the Torah into the world. And that 49 out of 50 was a level of prophecy that is not, cannot be achieved by anybody else. And therefore, the Rambam says clearly, that no prophet can ever say anything that contradicts the Torah. I mean, for the Rambam, it's like mathematics. If only Moshe Rabbeinu understood the Torah, and if other prophets are less than Moshe Rabbeinu, so it's inconceivable that the Torah could have a new interpretation through a prophet who is on a lower level than Moshe Rabbeinu. So for the Rambam, this insulated the, this insulated the Torah against attack. Because you know that the Torah was attacked for this reason or that reason over the ages by different kinds of by different kinds of people by different kinds of people. So the Rambam the Rambam doesn't think that it's a problem that it's a problem for a non-Jew to be a prophet because after all we're all created the same way. The applies equally to everybody. I mean, even though we like to think of ourselves as better than everybody else, but in this regard, in this regard, potential, the potential is the same. So the Rambam, for the Rambam, it's not such a problem that Bilam existed, that there was a prophet of the Goyim. That's not a problem. What is a problem for the Rambam is that donkey, or ass, that's a problem. And the Rambam won't have it. He won't have it. Even though the story sounds like the donkey is in it, like he's in the parasha. What are you doing? And what are we doing? And how is it happening? And did I do this to you? And did it? So the rabbi says, no, that's too much. The donkey is not a prophet. So if the donkey is not a prophet, so what's going on? Like, you know, how does the Torah tell us about the donkey uh, in such uh, glorious terms? I mean, the donkey is a kind of a hero. So the Rambam has his way out. When there's a question that is really very difficult to answer, um, so the Rambam says it is a dream. So a dream, for the Rambam, a dream could, could be anything, right? But you can't derive from the dream that the nature of an animal is that he could talk, right? Because that's what Ugla said, remember Ugla's Ruach Memalala. Ugla said that what distinguishes man from the other creatures is that man slash woman, in this case, can speak and communicate. So how come this donkey is communicating? It seems to run contrary to what we've said, you know, in this idea, in Ugla's idea. So the Rama said it was a dream. 
The Rabbi said it was a dream. A dream means it's an, it didn't happen. So if it didn't happen, it doesn't contradict anything. It's sort of just a way of telling the story. You want to tell the story in a more interesting way? Like Shakespeare knew about that. Right? So you have to have like a comic relief from time to time. So instead of having some person talking to Bilam about his, his the, the idea that he's going to go and curse the Jewish people, so, so, the dream, so in the dream a donkey does it. And, and that doesn't contradict any fundamental, any fundamental principle. So now we're left with this idea that Balak, the king of Moab, out of fear, went and hired Bil'am. When he hired Bil'am, he must have thought that Bil'am could do it. When Bil'am went with him, Bil'am must have also thought that he could do it. And if at the end, at the end, Bil'am, uh, uh, and what's the end of Bil'am? The end of Bil'am is that what he said is Torah. I mean, isn't that remarkable? Oh, you never noticed. <laughs> this Shabbos, you should notice. What do you, well, is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down the Torah from Sinai and had to wait till Bilam filled in those blank spaces? Like in the Torah it said, and Bilam said the following, space, when Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, and I said, wait, wait, we'll fill it in later. Bil- so Bilam became not only, not only a prophet, he's the author of Torah. He's the author of Torah. Now, in order to deal with that, the Gemara Babu Basra, the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parish of Bilam. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I'll give you a thought. Okay, I, give you, I, mean, I don't know what the, what the Gemara means. But it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, obviously the Gemara was, I found it problematic that Bilam, that the Torah has Bilam in it as the author of 50 psukim. I mean, how did that happen? I mean, if he's a bad guy, so what, why is he up front? Why is he telling me Torah? And the content of his nivuah, the content of his prophecy, is very important, very positive, right? Which we say every day, if you have that kind of the patience to say all the things at the beginning of the sitter as well. So, so, so we say it. It's Bilam. We're quoting Bilam. We're not quoting Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parasha of, uh, of Bilam. So it must be like the book of Tvarim. In the book of Tvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu says things. But it doesn't become Torah because Moshe Rabbeinu said it. It becomes Moshe, uh, Torah because God told Moshe Rabbeinu to write it down. You, you understand that, that there's a difference. Moshe Rabbeinu makes a lot of things that are not included in the Torah. What makes it Torah is that God told Moshe Rabbeinu, write this down. Right? You know, take my dictation. So the dictation from heaven might have been the words originally spoken by Moshe Rabbeinu. But what makes them into the Torah was that God told Moshe Rabbeinu to include them in the Torah. So it doesn't mean so the same thing is true about Bilam, perhaps. That Bilam said words that were worthy of being in the Torah. But that's not why they're in the Torah. They're in the Torah because God said, 
write them down, write them into the Torah, so they became Torah. It's it, what what makes them to, what makes them Torah in such a case is the choice made by Hakadosh Baruch Hu to include them in the Torah, and not the fact that in some kind of way they are natural Torah. And I don't I, that might mean something, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what it means. And yet it remains a little bit odd, maybe more than a little bit odd, that Bilam is the the the, the, the tsinar, you know, the pipeline between God's thinking, so to speak, about B'nai Israel and the other nations, and our awareness of the way God thinks about B'nai Israel and and uh, and the other nations of the world. That's one thing. I would just like to mention as a, uh, maybe as a footnote, that while it is true that Bilam was not successful in cursing the Jews with words, and that the words of Bilam became Torah, it is true that Bilam was successful in destroying the moral fiber of B'nai Yisrael. Bilam was the one who suggested to Balak that he send these women and that the women would somehow convince the men of Israel to be idolatrous. And, and it happened. That's what happened, which might lead you to the question of why didn't Bilam just do that straight away and why did he waste all this time with sacrifices of moving from one place to another and saying this and saying that. Okay, it's not a question that we're going to deal with. I just wanted to mention as a footnote that you can't just say that Bilam was passive and unable to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish and was not able to curse the Jewish people as he wished to curse them, but in fact he did. In fact he did and he caused a tremendous disaster which was then in turn uh, uh, the Jews were saved by Pinchas, right? Pinchas, who, who applied uh, a position of kanaut, of zealous, zealotry, right? You know zealotry? Zealotry means there's no due process. We know a lot about that in Israel. But there's no due process. No due process means if, you, if somebody is guilty, you don't kill him, you don't arrest him. Arresting him, that's due process. You have to prove it in court. But Pinchas, Pinchas was a zealot. He was a Kanae. And, and Kanaim have a special status when they see something that has to be dealt with on the, on, at the moment. They do. They do. There's like a, like a war, perhaps. So we have all these, these kinds of uh, questions about Bill Up. I want to. Well, the first, if you look at the second page, the second side, I have two sides. If you look at the second side, you see some, some statements that Rashi made. Rashi, after all, is our teacher. And if he said it, then it had an effect. So there's a pasuk in, in Shemot. You see the first, the first source. You know, this is after the Chaita Egel, but it doesn't matter. Look at what Rashi says. Gavata Dabarazeh. Shalom Yeshua Shinati Od Al Umota Olam. Shina, the presence of God. There's another word that's a little hard for, uh, you know, 
they think that if you don't experience them, you don't know what they are. And then there are things that if you do experience them, you can't really communicate them. Right? So, Shrina is one of those things. Shaloyu Shra Shrina od al umoto The Shrina will not dwell upon the nations of the world. As said, that's what the Pasuk says. Adavar Ashetivar Ta Eeseh. Vein Varav Shal Bil'am. So Rosh says, what about Bilam? If God promised that the Shekhinah would not dwell upon the nations of the world, well, what about Bilam? Didn't God somehow dwell upon, the Shekhinah dwell upon Bilam? After all, the words, the words of Bilam were God's words. Uh, so, Elenofer uglui enayim. He falls, that's what it says in, in, in our parasha. He fell, he fell, and somehow he saw things. So that, that uh, he said that Bilam was not in contact with the Shekinah. But he received information in a, in a different way. You see, in other words, what Rashi is doing is what, you know, a very Jewish thing to do. He's making a distinction in order to solve a problem. The problem is that in one place God said, no Shechina for the Goyim. And in another place it would seem that Bilam, you know, had a lot of Shechina available to him. So no, Shechina they don't have. But some lesser form of communication, they do have. Look at the next pasuk. Vayikar Elohim El Bilam, Vayomer Elah, and that Vayikar. Vayikar is like the word Vayikra, right? Vayikra. This is uh, Rashi also points this out in the beginning of the book of Vayikra. You know, the first word in the book of Vayikra is a little Aleph. You know, some here and there in the Torah there are small letters, big letters. At the end of the word Vayikra is a, is a little Aleph. So that the Rashi says to remind us that Moshe Rabbeinu was different than Bil'am. And here Rashi says it also in, in our parasha. Rashi says Vayikar, Lishon Arai, Lishon Arai, temporarily. Not Vayikar is short Vayikra, like Vayikar. There was, it, it happened. It happened uh, uh, at the moment. There was a, an awareness of God. He says that's arai, temporary. The shon kenai, and it's it's insulting. The shon tumat keri, and it, it's like the use of the word keri, which refers to uh, uh, an emission, uh, a physical emission, which creates tumat. Klomar bekoshi ubevizayo. So again, he says, yeah, God appeared to, to, to Bilam, but Bekoshi, Ubebizayon, Bekoshi means there was difficulty. Bilam had difficulty uh, understanding what was going on. Ubebizayon, the law hayanik le'alav bayom, ela b'shvil ot chivatam shayishayon. And God appeared to Bilam during the day only to tell him how much. Uh, he was uh, in favor of Am Yisrael, how much he was opposed 
to Bilam's idea. Okay? Now, uh, the next pasuk, there's one more pasuk, Bamibah Perek Kavbet, Vaishlach Malachim and Bilam Ben Ba'or Petora, to the place called Petora, Asher Al Hanaha, Eret Bnei Amolikro Lole Mor, Inean Yitzam Yitzrayim, Nekisat Einaret, Vishemim Uli, so that that uh, Balak is describing the problem to Bilam. That he's worried that uh, that Am Yisrael is going to take over and get a conquer, uh, conquer him. Uh, so in any event, the Rashi, Ptora, Ptora is like a table. Shulchani Shulchani is a money money changer. They used to put they used to put down a table, and they would put different kinds of currency on the table, and they and they would change them from place to place. You know. If you went to uh, went up north in Eretz Israel, you needed one kind of currency. If you stayed in the center, you needed a different kind of currency. So the currency was weighed. In, in other words, if you had old silver coins, uh, so the coin was worth the weight of silver in the coin. So if you used the coin a lot, uh, you you could wear it down. You know, like remember those old quarters in America? You know, everybody used to have old quarters. And they were old, so that the what's on a quarter, an eagle or something? Yeah. So, what? George Washington. George Washington is on a quarter. Oh. So anyway, if you rub it a lot, if you rub the quarter a lot for about twenty years, so the, the, the it disappears. The figure on the so today it doesn't matter because we don't. We don't weigh the coins, right? We don't weigh the coins that we use. But in those days, they actually weighed the coins. See how much silver or other precious metal was in the, the coin. So the shulchani, the shulchani, the guy with the table, he also had usually a pair of scales on the table, and he would weigh the coins that you gave him, and you wanted it to be exchanged for coins from another part of Eretz Israel. So that's the... That's the Shulchani. So that's what he says about uh, Bil Am. He says, "Kach kol hamlachim ritzim et lo igrot lehem." When he pshutos shul mikra kach sheim akom. This is the. In, in other words, either the word Pitorah is means it was a place where they changed money, or it was the name of a place, Pitor, Pitor. Okay. Now listen to this. Eretz b'nei Amor. You see the pasuk Asher Anahar Eretz Bnei Amo. Eretz means the land. Bnei the children. Amo, his his people. What does Rashi say? Rashi says Shalbalak Misham Hayah. He was from there. Vizeh Yamit Napevo Melo, and and he Bilam would prophesy and say to him, Ata Ata Lim Limloch. He would say, "Atida, tell him, look, you're going to be the king." Then Tomah b'Neimah, Yisrael Kodesh Baruch Shina Al Goy Rasha. How's that? He says, "So when they were young, Balak and Bilam were young, and they were shooting baskets in the schoolyard. So Bilam said to Balak, 'You're going to become the king of uh, of Moab. You'll be the king of Moab because God told Bilam to say that.'" Said, listen, I'll give you a God's a little insight for you. Tell your friend that he's going to become the king of Moab. So he says, 
So you can ask me, so why, why did God do that? Why, they're all, Bilam is a bad guy. He's a guy and he's a rasha. Like, that's the bottom. Like, you know, you can't be, can't be worse off than that. So it's, why did you do that? He says, that the nations of the world, when God makes a reckoning with them, so the nations of the world are going to say, nations of the world are going to say, if you would have sent us prophets to say, to tell us what we should do, we would have listened. But you didn't send us prophets, right? Uh, uh, what do you, how do you say it? Uh, I cite uh, uh, Yonah, right? You remember Yonah? He went to Nineveh finally, and they did listen to him. They all listened. A prophet appeared, and he, they knew he was God's prophet, and they all did tshuva. Not only they, not only people in Nineveh, but the animals in Nineveh did tshuva also, which is an interesting point. So it says here, he says, so God gave them prophets, but it didn't work. They, they broke down the gates of, of existence. First, they, they were careful about sexual relations. And Bilam said, no, no, send all the women to, to the people of Israel and seduce them into uh, idolatrous worship. So that Bilam himself was responsible for this breach, because we know that Arayot, uh, uh, sexual misconduct, are one of the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, one of the Mitzvot, that the, uh, uh, one of the Noachide laws, right? And, and Bilam was the one who encouraged the Moabite women to break down that law. So you see, it didn't work. That's what he says. But in other words, Rashi accepts the question, which is, how could it be? Now, how could it be? Okay, so now, look at this. One? Can I ask something? Sure. The, the Rashi that we began with, of Gamet HaDavah That what? Gamet HaDavah Hazen. Shadoi Ayushrashkinato Odalumotolam. Yeah. What's the connection? What well, this this which which are you talking about? The first Rashi from Shemot. No, it's tell my Rashi says uh, I'll give you I have another question, not from the puzzle. It's a general question. How come it was according to Rashi, Bilab was a prophet at a young age, right. and he told Balak that he would become the king. Right? That's what Rashi. That's what Eretz B'nai Ammo means. Then Rashi says, if you ask me, as a result of this interpretation, it's not in the Pasuk, but if you ask me how come God allowed this to happen with a prophet who's a non-Jew and a, and a Rasha, so this is my answer. But, so the, hang on, but, the, but if the Pasuk is that Hashem saying, I'm going to do what you want, that's not that, that's not Shalom Yisrael. Where does it say, I'm going to do it? What, what are you talking about? I will do what you've asked. Yeah. And Russia's thing, and, and Russia so, seems to say the thing I'm going to do is stop going and getting the Right. So that you won't look bad for failing yeah, yeah. okay. the golden calf. Right. 
And so, so later on it's reversed, you mean? No, I just mean it. It's like a, a, that Russia seems to create the problem. Oh. He creates the problem by saying, by A, making that the interpretation of what Moshe asks, and B, by setting up the situation that Hashem's prophet is promising that going my devil is prophesying. Okay. So if somebody has a good question, I have to answer it. I don't have to answer it. That's a good, it's a good question. That's yeah, it. it's a good question. <laughs> a good question. But but the reason that I brought the Rashi is only to, right. to show you that Rashi told it's a davar pashut that Goyim shouldn't have prophecy, right? And that somehow it's been negotiated throughout the ages. Now, if you turn to the first side, the first page, turn to the first page. There's a pasuk at the end of the Torah. It says, "Lo kam navi od bi Yisrael ke Moshe." Right? Lo kam bi Yisrael od ke Moshe. Asher yedo Hashem panim al panim. So again, this is one of these sukim. I don't get it. I don't know what it means. What panim al panim mean? Does God have a face? Moshe Rabbeinu had a face. Face of God. It both says in the Torah itself that Moshe Rabbeinu. God said to Moshe, you won't be able to see my face. You only see my back. So, of course, since I don't understand this, I don't understand that, but I don't understand the other thing, how could I say they contradict each other? I mean, in order to say they contradict each other, I have to say I understand them. But since I don't understand them, so, so okay. So it's a, it's a different kind of problem. So the Torah Tmima, you know the Torah Tmima? Torah Tmima is Baruch Epstein. Baruch is a very interesting, uh, interesting person. Very interesting person. Last week, I think I mentioned the Aruch Hashulchan. Did I remember the Aruch mentioned? I didn't. Okay, the Aruch Hashulchan was written by Baruch Epstein's father, who was the Rav in the Varadohok. We call it, we say Nevada. Right, he was the Rav in the Varad. And he was a, like a brilliant... Brilliant, you know, those are, everybody's brilliant. I don't know what happened exactly along the way. But everybody we ever heard of was brilliant. I guess all the stupid people, we never heard of them. So he was extremely, he was extremely brilliant, and he wrote a commentary in the Shulchan Aruch called Aruch HaShulchan, which is very highly regarded, especially amongst Lamedanim, that the Mishnah Brura is the book that's used by everybody today. It's like sort of like standard halachic. Uh, work. Whereas the Aruch HaShulchan, you have to be a little bit more conversant with the material to use the Aruch HaShulchan. Now he had a, he had a son whose name was Baruch. Baruch Epstein. And he was um, interesting. Also, he had one of those memories. He never forgot anything. Never forgot anything. And he wrote this commentary on sort of commentary on the Torah called the Torah Tmima. What he does is he quotes relevant statements from Chazal and then he explains them. And he writes in the introduction he says, he says I want to tell you that everything I write I stole from somebody. I'm not original at all. But I usually don't remember who I stole it from. And therefore, I don't mention anybody. I don't, uh, because because I'm telling you up front that it's all it's all stolen. But we're going to find an exception, right here. Now, Baruch Epstein, this family, they were connected to the Nitziv, the family of the Nitziv in Valmajer. 
in the yeshiva in Talmashu. And so the story is going to become clear. So now, the Torah Tumimba quotes a Sifri. Quotes a Sifri. The Sifri is the Medrash Halacha, Tanaim. Tanaim on Bamidbar and Dvarim. Whereas as opposed to the Mishnah, which is a collection of Halachot, usually without Psukim, the Medrash Halacha takes off on the Psukim. This is what the Pasuk says. This is what, so the Pasuk that we're talking about is Lo Kam Navi Odi Yisrael Ki Moshe. Right, that's the Pasuk. Look at the Sifri. The Sifri says, it says it Torah Tmima, but it's really the Sifri. Be Yisrael Lo Kam Ava Bumota Olam Kam Umanu Bilam. Now this is like a kind of an annoying thing. It's very difficult to say that the Tanaim well, like having a bad day. Or that, you know, it just snuck in by accident. So this becomes a crux that, that people try to deal with all the time. How could they say that Moshe Rabbeinu was outclassed by Bil'am? That's what they said. They said, look, look again, Yisrael Right, the Pesach says, Lokam Navi od Yisrael ki Moshe. Yisrael but there was such a prophet amongst the nations of the world, Omanu, who is he? What is this similar to? This is like, uh, uh, if you get it, you get it. What is this similar to? He says the the cook, the one who cooks for the king, he knows. He knows something that the king doesn't know. What does he know that the king doesn't know? He doesn't. He knows how much it costs. The king doesn't know how much it costs. I mean, can you imagine, like a king asking for a bill? Never happened. Never happened. So that's what the Sifri says. Now the Torah himself, the Torah Tzvimah, okay, remember Baruch HaLevi Epstein, who is the son of the Aruch HaShulchan? This Baruch HaLevi Epstein, by the way, worked in a bank in Germany. And he was like an accountant. He was like, he had one of those memories. You know, he just remembered everything, every number. And so he was a very valuable employee. And on the side, he wrote this book. He says he wrote this book called the Torah Tmima because he noticed that people were talking in shul during Kriyata Torah. And that they were talking probably because they were bored. So he wanted to provide them with ongoing entertainment where they wouldn't have to talk. They could just read his commentary. So we're going to do that now. We're going to read his commentary. Look at this. You see, Torah Tmima Kava Klomar. See the word Klomar? Sheyidiyatosho Bil'am Bedat Yom. Bil'am's knowledge of God's thinking about things. Haita Me'erech Yidiyata Tabach Hotsaot Shulchan It was like the Tabach, the cook, who knows about the expenses of the king. Sheyidiyat Shuta. 
this kind of knowledge can be called simple and unrefined. Unrefined. Moshe Rabbeinu was not like the, the cook for the king, but Moshe Rabbeinu was like the one who who discussed the most secret things, and he was beloved of the king. Umehira, kibato sefibetzel uben arapta, the kehilat valojin shamati shabs. He says, Mehira, Mehira means it's clear to me, or it, uh, it seems clear to me. Mehira, na, he bestofafibetzel uben arapta, the when I was, he was a student. He, Baruch Alevi Epstein, was a student in Volozhin in the early years of the yeshiva. You remember, Volozhin was established by Rav Chaim Volozhin, who was a Talmud of the Vilna Gaon, who encouraged him to start the yeshiva. And Volozhin is called the first of the yeshivot. Why? What was it? What was a yeshiva? Why was it? Why was it different? Because it had a dormitory. Until that time, there were no dormitories. But the students who went to hear a Torah from a rab someplace would sleep in the homes of the people in the town. But Valojin was the total experience yeshiva. You know, you just you were in the dormitory, so everybody knew everything about everybody all the time, and that produced. A, a, a special kind of result. In any event, Baruch Epstein, the author of the Torah Tzvima, was a student in Valajan for a time. So he says, Shamati Sham B'Shemad Ba'on Rav Chaimi Valajan Zal has been in Ratzlid Rashad Zo. I heard in the name, I mean, Rav Chaim Valajaner was already dead, but I heard in the name of Rav Chaim Valajaner an explanation for this Sifri which seems to claim that Bilam was more uh, was a greater prophet than, than Moshe Rabbeinu Alpim Mashal Le'Nesher he compared it to an eagle and a bat bat Atalef now you know what a bat is it's like scary bats are scary and eagles are not but really you should be more scared of an eagle than you are scared of a bat but any bat so there's a, a mashal about the nesher v'atalek she'shneihem listen to this this is, this is terrific she'shneihem yodin eitz richat Hashem shubiyat Hashem both of them the eagle and the bat know exactly when sunrise is and when sunset is he says, Ach, Mirikudat, Hareut, Shte Akzavot, Shonot, Tachlit, Shinui, Zemzem. But actually, these two birds see two different things at sunrise and at, and at set, sunset. Nemazudrash Alpi Mashana, I'm sorry, Shonot, Tachlit, Shinui, Zemzem. Ki, Ki Adua. Everybody knows that the nature of an eagle, she likes 
the sun. He likes the um, the heat of the sun. So at night, he doesn't see so well. He, the eagle, doesn't see so well. And the opposite, the bat. He's only able to find pleasure in the night. And the darkness. And the bat is afraid of the light of the since both of them know exactly when the hour of sunrise is they know exactly Uh, the purpose of this knowledge is different for each of them the Nesha knows when the sunrise comes that it's time for him to get up and to look at the light and the life in the world that's what he's looking at he says and the bat knows when the sun rises that the time has come to hide himself and, and the opposite, when it gets dark, they both know something. The Nesha, the eagle, knows that he should hide, go to a place where he could rest. And the bat knows that he should get up. So you see, you can have two things the, the, the Nesha and the Atalay, they know the same thing. But the purpose of the knowledge, the use of the knowledge, is totally different. And now we can understand what we mean when we say that Moshe Rabbeinu and Bil'am both knew about God's Da'at, right? The, the, the intelligence of, of God. Uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu felt that the time had come to bring bracha into the world the light of God the spirit of God so then Moshe Rabbeinu would awaken to the challenge that's where that's Moshe Rabbeinu that's what he was supposed to do. And Bilam also knew that that time had come. But he hid out. But he didn't allow himself to bring blessing into the world. He hid the prophecy that he knew was there. And he's like the bat. The bat that can't live during the day. But and the opposite, when the darkness comes, when it's a bad time for Am Yisrael, 
when the when the bracha turns into unpleasantness from heaven, then Bilam awakens, right? As they direct Bilam in the Vuakalif and then Bilam gets up and he he acts as he can act to bring uh, uh, deceit and, and, and darkness into the world. Also knows that the darkness is coming, a bad time, so to speak. He he runs away and, and he doesn't allow his prophecy to be to be stated until the anger of God subsides. And this way we can understand Yes, it's true that both of them knew about God and what God wanted in this world. But Moshe Rabbeinu was always interested in bringing light into the world. And this was the other into darkness. This interpretation is... Uh, is very dear. It's a very dear kind of interpretation. So, uh, this interpretation to me, I mean, what I would say, is that this indicates that prophecy is not a passive act. It's not that uh, that a person a person uh, stands there and God says, as He said to Jonah, "Go to Nineveh and tell them." that they have 40 days. But that's not the essence of prophecy. The essence of prophecy seems to be to expand the possibility of bracha in the world. That's what a prophet is supposed to do. And of course you could understand that the word prophet can be substituted by Talmud Chacham, by teacher, by Tzadikim, uh, all those words are words that we can use to explain the purpose that Moshe Rabbeinu had besides the fact that he gave the Torah to the world. But he was supposed to catch the moment. There is like an up and down we see in the Torah in the relationship between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It, It's not a steady flow. It's not something that's predetermined. But it has something to do with the way we act and the way we accept responsibility and the way that we deny responsibility from time to time. And the job of Moshe Rabbeinu, a job, one of the jobs of Moshe Rabbeinu was to expand the bracha, to expand the, 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 those moments where God was pleased with the world. That's what the Torah says sometimes. Noach matzachem. It's possible for in this world of uh, of difficulty, which is the world that Noach was born into, it's possible to be motzachem. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that what was happening, and he was committed to expanding the bracha, according to the story of Chaim Volojina, whereas. Uh, uh, Whereas uh, Bilam, who had the same kind of knowledge, but a different kind of commitment, he, he wanted to use that knowledge to spread darkness, 
an inconsistency and difficulty between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh, and HaKadosh Baruch. It was, uh, uh, he wasn't able to do it with words, but he was able to do it with promoting idolatry through the uh, women, through these uh, Moabite women. So you see, uh, you could see, you might see, that prophecy is somewhat more complicated than it started out. Even though it is true that sometimes prophets come with messages. It is true that sometimes prophets come to warn B'nai Yisrael that they're doing the wrong thing. But the notion of prophecy is a lot more creative than that. It was the prophet is able to actually make the world in which he is living, according to Reb Chaim Volodin. Reb Chaim Volodin, you know, was a capitalist, as the Vilna Gaon. Reb Chaim Volodin was a Talmud of the Vilna Gaon who encouraged him to start the Yeshiva. And he, the Vilna Gaon, and his student Reb Chaim Volodin, were both capitalists. They saw the world as this world of light and darkness and constant, um, constant struggle to, to allow the light and to make sure that the light would be the determining factor in the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. But you know that from time to time, the darkness seems to be, uh, seems to overwhelm us for whatever reason. It's very hard to know the reasons, but here we see that uh, Bilam was the reason for darkness. Chazal, Chazal even say that Bilam and Moshe Rabbeinu had similarities even though the Rambam doesn't quote that. But they were similar, that, that they knew something. And the mashal, the parable of the, of the eagle and the bat, explains to us how two uh, people, two elements, you know the same thing, but use them and tell, use that knowledge in totally different ways. And that's the story of Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam. And that's probably the reason, at least for the Rebbe that the story is there. I mean, what do we learn from the story? What, what, is it, what does it do for us? Well, you know, that people, that you have to check. You have to be careful. Be very careful before you, you commit yourself to, uh, to an ideological position, to a person who represents an ideological position. I mean, I guess you could do it, but you have to think about it. You have to look into it. Don't take it for granted. I mean, it's, it's true that Bilam was a prophet, but it's also true that he was a bad fellow. And, uh, you know, the Gemara says, if I laugh, the last point that I want to remind you about is that the Gemara asks, what, what is a Nevi Shekhar? You know, there was this idea that you could have a lying, a lying prophet. What do you mean a Nevi Shekhar? So if I came into this room and I said, oh, uh, the world is going to come to an end tomorrow, I don't think anybody would get too excited. If I say, no, no, it's my prophecy, you would say, he's crazy. Like, he lost it. Off his, off his mind. So that a Nevisheke is not somebody who comes and says something crazy. But a Nevisheke, according to the Gemara, is only someone who was proven to be a true prophet. And then became a lying prophet. You see, somebody comes and says, I'm a prophet. So the Torah says, okay, ask him to do a miracle. He does a miracle. He says, okay, do another miracle. Does another miracle. I say, okay, I've, I'm, I'm captured. 
you're a real prophet. So he says whatever he says. Then two weeks later, he comes and says something crazy. He says, don't keep Shabbos. I just got a prophecy, don't keep Shabbos, right? So that means, that's a lying prophet. Prophets never beat the Torah. That's what Torah, prophets cannot trump Torah. Torah always wins. So if the prophet comes and says, no Torah, the Torah is wrong, or Torah changes minds, so you know he's a lying prophet, but why did he even consider listening to him? Because he used to be a true prophet. Otherwise, why would you listen? I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense. All these prophets did miracles. All, you know, anyway, anyway, so Adavi Sheker, Adavi Sheker is a prophet who used to tell the truth and was a true prophet and then lost it. He became a lying prophet. So that Bilam must have been, as we see, a true prophet. And, and the story is that he told Balak as a child that he would become the king of Moab, and he did, because God told him that. So that Bil'am, Bil'am was a lying prophet, meaning that he used to be a real prophet, and then he became a lying prophet. And that's why uh, Balak was convinced that Bil'am would be able to solve his problems. Why was he lying? What? Why did he lie? Oh, he didn't, he didn't lie because God didn't let him, but he wanted to. Because I'll say, if you read between the lines of what he said, then you'll know what he really wanted to say. So, what he really wanted to say was a lie, because he was he was saying that God was unhappy with the Jews and was going to punish them, and that all of that was a lie. All of that was a lie. So you have a, that's a different story, but you have both prophecies in the in the parasha, the overt and the covert. Have a good job. I was telling you that once a night you can say good job.